So in anticipation of Mother's Day, a friend of mine, a mom, sent me a list of uh, ideas of, of why it's actually a lot easier, generally speaking, to be a man than to be a woman in this world. And um, I'm just going to share a few of those with you this morning. First is this, when you're a man, wedding plans take care of themselves. When you're a man, wrinkles add character. When you're a man, phone conversations are over in 30 seconds flat. When you're a man, the same hairstyle lasts for years, maybe decades. <laughs> so true. When you're a man, you only have to shave your face and neck. That's easier. And here, this is my personal favorite. When you're a man, your underwear is $8.95 for a three-pack. <laughs> Being a mom's a tough job, right? Um, rewarding, but really difficult. Interestingly, uh, motherhood has developed its, its own uh, abundance of memes. I want to share with you uh, two of my uh, all-time favorites. Maybe. You're going to have to click that, Isaac. There we go. First this, my daughter asked me, what's it like to have kids? So I interrupted her every 11 seconds until she cried. <laughs> yeah, Tr- Tracy and I really, we, we did laugh out loud and my daughter didn't. <laughs> she didn't think I was very funny, but we did. Okay. Uh, second one, for the first 40 years of motherhood, the first 40 years are always the hardest. I thought that was really sweet, right? Um, once you're a mom, you're always a mom. Uh, you never stop being a mom, never stop mothering. It's, it's uh, with you. Forever, it's a very difficult job, but also a, a super rewarding job. And um, as you probably have noticed, I'm not a mom, but I have a mom, and I live with a mom, and I listen to moms. And what I would like to do uh, this morning is really simple. I'd like to give you an opportunity as well to listen to some moms. So I asked some moms if they would come up and share some of their wisdom. If you moms would come up, and uh, as we talk about. Uh, motherhood here from uh, some ladies that uh, I think are experts. They will not say that they're experts. And I tell you, one of the great challenges I had uh, this week was trying to figure out um, who should I select because we have so many wonderful moms uh, in this congregation. But I wanted you to hear from, from a few of these moms. And if we can, let me start with this. Would you just uh, introduce yourselves and tell a little bit about your families? Good morning. Okay, good. Go. Hi, everybody. I'm Erin Berkey, and I'm married to Todd, and I have two boys who are 10 and 12. Good morning. I'm Catherine Lee, and I have a daughter who's 14. And, oh, 15. Sorry, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> and a son who's 14, and I'm married to Neil. I'm Carol Lockhart, and I have four children. Maybe the oldest one was doesn't want me to say her age, but she's 53. She's playing with a full deck and one joker. Uh, I have a son who's 49, one that's 47, and the baby just turned 44. Here, you guys, we got two mics, so you two can share. There we go. Make Is this easy. on? Yep, you're on. Okay. Really? Yeah. All right. I'm Martha Hurley. I have... Well, actually, two sets of twins. They're 54 and 52. Um, I have 16 grandchildren and um, twin great-grandbabies. Six months old. I know. Pretty great. Way to go, Martha. Yeah, so this is a little different this morning. So if you came in this morning and you, and you, you were thinking, okay, this year finally I'm going to win my flowers because I had my 18th grandbaby. I, I'm, we're not doing that this morning, but I promise next year we'll bring it back. So just you know, get to next year and you'll win your, your flower. This morning we're just going to talk a little uh, mom wisdom with these ladies. So what I'd like for you to do is uh, just, just give maybe um, hardest and best things about motherhood. Just maybe one or two thoughts 
the hardest thing and the best thing? Okay. Um, The hardest thing, I think when they were young, it's you never live up to the expectations you had. Many of you don't know Leave it to Beaver, but some of you gray-haired people know Leave it to Beaver. She would vac. It was a TV show, and she would vacuum in this little cute dress, and her house was immaculate, and that didn't happen when my children were young. <laughs> now I do. I only have one person. But And then the easiest thing is getting involved in, and uh, getting involved in their lives and supporting them. And Yeah, it was fun. Mm-hmm. This wasn't on your list of questions. No, I just made this one up this morning. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, I actually have a few more I made up. Just, <laughs> okay. okay. Um, hardest and best. Okay. Um, the hardest is watching them uh, hurt um, mm. because we hurt more than they do when they hurt. Uh, and that's been through uh, primarily uh, teenage on up into mm-hmm. adulthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the best is, uh, I love you, Mom. Thank you for everything. I would say for me, the hardest part was when they were both really itty-bitty. My kids are 18 months apart. So there, were, there was a short amount of time when they were both in diapers. Um, and it almost felt like having twins. And those early years were really difficult um, and I would say the best would be seeing both of my kids accept Christ. That was a wonderful uh, experience to be a part of that. So, I think the hardest for me was I spent about three years as a single mom. Uh, my first husband passed away after a long battle with brain cancer. And single mom is, is hard. And I think uh, God was very faithful, but the hardest thing for me was seeing how selfish I was because my life didn't go as I thought that it would go. And when my kids would just be crazy. There were times I just thought, I just can't, I cannot do this. It's so hard, but I'm so thankful for how God provides and for the community that was around me, many people in this church who really helped. And when they're little, it's so emotionally or physically draining. When they're bigger, it becomes much more uh, emotionally draining, like Carol said. Um, I think the best thing is, is being able to see how God has made them and to encourage them to, um, to really be those things. And the, the small moments when I see them being nice to each other, because I have two boys, is nice too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go, uh, let's get theological for a second. Tell me what you, in the process of, of raising kids, what you learned about God, and maybe something you learned about yourself as well in that process. I just learned um, to appreciate God's patience and grace, because as a parent, you have to have a lot of patience too. And you have to have a lot of grace. And, you know, it just is such a blessing that he was with us the whole time mm-hmm. through everything. The best lesson for me was to learn total dependence on God because we don't have it together and you never will. Um, so that shouts against the uh, world values. It's all you can do it and worship your children, but that's not what it's about. It's about total dependence on God. And uh, I guess uh, in that, the biggest lesson was pray, 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 mm. uh, because He is there. Like our song said, God with us. That's a good lesson. Mm-hmm. I would have to agree with Carol. I. I knew before I left the hospital with my first child that I didn't know what I was doing. So that total dependence on God, uh, 
is something that taught me to value his word uh, because that was something uh, that I could turn to. And just that God is faithful. Not only was I completely dependent on him, but that he was faithful to carry me through those hard times. Yeah, I would have to say the same thing. I'm just staying really connected to him and really beginning to understand that my identity is fully rooted in Christ and not how my kids act. Praise God. <laughs> so there are times when, when I'm not very proud of them because of choices they make, but that doesn't change who I am and who God has made me to be, and I'm thankful for the truth of his word in that. Okay. Um, biggest lessons, most important lessons, things that you'd want to pass on maybe to, uh, to new moms in particular. Okay. I thought about this, and I, th- I thought through the years, the, the first five years were... My son can get me crying <laughs> in a split second because we get, well, anyway. Um, um, first one is pull up your bootstraps and look towards the Lord. Um, when the kids are little, invest in their time, be in the audience with them, join PTA. If they go out, I remember my husband would be a softball coach and we'd be in, and if you've ever had any girls and they've played softball, it's, anyway. Well, anyway, we won't get into that. <laughs> but in the teenage years, I never made it a com. I, I, for a second, out of my mouth came, you're grounded for three months. And soon, as soon as it was out of my mouth, I thought, I'll never follow through with that. So my thing is, I never, I, I, if they did something that we had to talk about, I said, I'll talk to you in 24 hours. And then we discuss it. And then as grown-ups... I don't give any advice to my children or in-laws unless they ask for it. And then all bets are off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to return to the prayer because um, pray for them, over them, with them. Uh, and in your doing that, you're practicing the presence of God in their life and in your life. And uh, they can know that you are always for them, that God is always for them, and they do not need to be afraid if they're practicing the presence of God in their lives. So prayer is where that begins for me. And, of course, the word and talking about them as you're going down the path, as you're in your home, rising up, sitting down, all of that. He is with us always. Praise God. (laughs) I would say don't do it by yourself. Don't do it alone. Um, I remember when my kids were very young, um, I was involved in MOPs, Mothers of Preschoolers. I did uh, community Bible study for a short time. And when I was a stay-at-home mom, that was an excuse to shower <laughs> and put clothes, like regular clothes on and to get out of the house. And that was a lifeline uh, to me and to uh, meet with other moms who were very real, who were not... Um, perfect. And I found a lot of comfort in that, in sharing stories with other moms and also talking to older women who had been been there before could give me some comfort and advice. And then uh, later when I started working, uh, that same community was there to help me through uh, kind of the challenges of being a working mom. So I would just say, don't do it alone. Find people around you to support you and be your community. Amen to that. I would say to a brand new mom, you have this amazing little child that you've made and you feel like all your attention should be poured toward that, but you need to keep your priorities right and have Christ first, your husband second, and your children third. And sometimes it's really easy to get that 
messed up and to continue to pour into your marriage relationship because the best thing, one of the best things for your kids is for your marriage to be strong and to continue to pursue your husband and make time for him and not just hundred percent focus on that child, which is a really hard thing to do because as moms, that's what we, we want to do. And that takes power of the Holy spirit to even get that right. That's, um, for some of you know my story, right? I, when we moved down here from uh, New York, my first Christian friends I discovered here in Texas, and among my first friends actually were uh, two of the, the younger Hurley twins, Robert and Margaret. And I, and I would say, you know, kind of uh, expanding on what Martha said, the Hurley home was always open to us. So uh, the Hurleys knew all of their kids' friends because their home was so open. And I mean, we just got to the point where we had, we had such a level of comfort that we just walk in the door. We didn't knock. We just walk in and we'd go to the kitchen and we'd eat the food. And it, there was, you know, there was always, uh, there was always just, we were welcome. And Martha and Robert, you know, if, if we're sitting around, they, they would come in sometimes and jump in on our conversations and know all of us. And the I mean, wonderful thing gift for your kids is know all of their friends and have your home open so all of their friends always feel comfortable coming in at any point in time. Keep the refrigerator stocked. All right? Okay, I, I didn't put this one down on your, your, uh, your, your question ahead of time either, but it's a, it's a moment. It's an opportunity. How can dads help? How can dads help in, in raising the kids and, and in your job and your responsibility? It's an opportunity here. <laughs> Sorry, when they were really young and that, um, uh, he was just always with me and whatever we were doing with the kids, my husband and I always were in the audience together. We were always together. We talked about the, if we had concerns about the children, we would discuss them and, and, um, yeah, we just, just stick in there, dads. It's a joint. It's a joint effort to raise children with the Lord's help. Thank you. Um, Start by giving baths to the little ones at night, <laughs> <laughs> helping clean up. But but uh, more seriously, um, dads lead your family in ministry. Be a leader for your hus- for your wife, because you are the head of the home under Christ. That's so important, and then they catch the values that you have. Hey, Carol, expand on that a little bit. What do you mean, what do you mean lead in your home? What um, does that look like practically? Uh, oh, just the simple things like devotions and mm-hmm. so on. But uh, like when we were at the Air Force Academy, we had as many as 90 to 100 cadets in our home, and our kids saw a vision of eternity because of that. Uh, I can remember saying, sorry, honey. We're not going to be at your ball game, but we'll be together in heaven with all these guys who are receiving Christ because of what we're doing. Um, I would say, dads, don't be afraid of the dirty work. Change the poopy diaper uh, and, and do those types of things. Do the, the hands-on dirty work and uh, be a partner. Um, I've had the blessing of my husband uh, not being afraid to be a partner in parenting with me and, uh, and not saying, well, this is your sphere and I'm going to do this while you're the mom. You take care of those things. We did everything together as partners, and uh, I would say that helped me survive those years. And uh, I would also agree with Carol to, to be the, the leader of the home, be the spiritual leader of the home. And there's so many physical needs when they're younger. Uh, and like you said, the emotional needs when they're older. Don't check out during those teenage years. Be there and um, 
even if it means rebuilding a relationship with your kids, do it. I'd have to say the same thing. I'm blessed to be married now to a man who really does love Jesus and loves people well. And the way that he leads our family just by being who he is, is the best thing I could ask for in him as, as a dad, because my boys, I want them to be like him when, when they get older. But for him to be able to be that example, he has to stay very connected to Christ and be able to lead our family because of the, the overflow of his own relationship with Jesus. Okay, I, I also have mics. So let me speak into that myself just a little. I, I you know, spiritual leadership uh, in the home sometimes I think that um, dads can overcomplicate what that means. To a large degree, it means not withdrawing. So um, you stay engaged if the need of the moment is physical. You're engaged in that moment. If it's um, emotional as they get older, you're in that moment. Even if you don't understand it or don't feel like you know the right answer, you, you don't pull back from those moments. You stay in those moments. And, you know, there's so much of life that as, as kids grow and it becomes so chaotic and you don't understand and don't know how to fix it. Uh, and I think for men, a lot of times too, the last thing in the world that we want to feel is incompetent. And so there's a temptation to pull back in those moments, but don't. Spiritual leadership means you stay in those moments and in those moments of chaos even when you don't understand. The second in terms of spiritual leadership is, yeah, I do think we overcomplicate even, you know, have a devotional. I'd just say make sure you, you are having consistent spiritual times with your kid. You don't, you don't necessarily have to sit down and map out this exegetical study for your two-year-old, you know, on uh, the, the gospel of John. It doesn't necessarily have to be that like that. Uh, as they grow, their capacities to, to understand God and his word grows and you grow with them, but it's, it's Deuteronomy 6. It's, it's constantly looking for and taking advantages, advantage of those moments to inject God into each and every conversation. So, you know, we have uh, a bookshelf of Bibles that we read with our kids, and the first one was a picture Bible, and it's cartoons. And then we had a manga Bible. For those of you who know what manga cartoon style is, we had manga Bible, and then we had rhyming Bible and we read rhyming and you know any each level it would get a little bit more complex and now my kids are reading Greek. No, I'm just kidding. They're not. <laughs> you look, you go serious. They're not even close. Um, but it's just it's just making sure that you have those those moments consistently and that dad is is actually engaged in those moments as well. Um, okay, as you look back. Uh, we all have things you go, oh, I wish I'd done this differently. So tell me something you wish you'd done differently and then something you're really glad that you did. Right? So I don't want to just have the negative twist on it. So something you wish you had done differently with your kids? Something you're glad you pursued? <laughs> I could go first. Um, I, I wish that I would be less selfish and a lot more intentional with my kids and not see my time as my time, but my time as the Lord's time and to really pour into them better because I always have an agenda of what I want to do, which sometimes cuts into my intentional time with them. Work in progress. Um, what was the other one? Something that you, you really, you're glad you did and you would do that again. <laughs> well, on the flip side of that, I'm glad for the times that I have been able to choose to, to pour into them and to lay with them at night and talk about their school day or, take some time to read a book and just not be like, okay, time for bed, you know? Um, yeah. I would say one thing I wish I had done differently is to let myself off the hook. Um, I got really caught up when my kids were younger in, um, 
unrealistic expectations, but also comparing myself to other moms. So, well, their kid is in this pre-K and they're in this developmental thing. And, uh, it, it can really suck you in like a black hole. And I put a lot of stress and pressure and expectations based on what everyone else around me was doing. And so I, I wish I would have let myself off, off the hook, take some deep breaths, and just, um, and just trust the Lord more through those earlier days. Um, and I would say one thing that I'm glad I did is I made an effort to cultivate who I was outside of being a mom. Because you can get so wrapped up, and I think being a mom is one of the highest callings for women, but it's not the only calling for women. You can be a complete woman and not be a mother. And so by pursuing the things that I was passionate about, the things that uh, mattered to me, I think was, uh, in a way, my kids were seeing me pursue that, and, um, and, I, and I'm always uh, thankful that I did that. Somewhere in the mix, our, our thoughts and our actions didn't match up. Apparently, somewhere, we became performance-based parents. That is so important not to do that. That was a mistake that we made. Um, love them, whatever they're going to do in life. Uh, support them. Always direct them to the Lord. And I think one of the best things we did was to realize that people are more important than things. It's sort of the flip side of the Mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. People are more important than things. And from Teddy Roosevelt, comparison is the thief of joy. One thing I have told my children that guilt is a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Um, Just when you have the young children, at first I was felt guilty because I had so many children all at once and I wasn't living up to the expectations and I would feel guilty about that but as my children laugh at me and I tell them even now that um, just ask for forgiveness and go on from there because there is no such thing as a perfect parent Um, and the best thing just um, gee I just really like all my kids I mean, we just have spent time with them and invested in them. And, you know, it just, you know, yeah. I don't know what to say. I just, I've really been blessed. And I like every one of my grandchildren, too, which is really wonderful. Shocking. No, it is. (laughs) It's really great. So, you know, I just thank the Lord every day that, you know, it's, yeah, life is good when you trust in the Lord. Okay, kind of building on that, uh, probably maybe a couple, some couples out here who are thinking about, kids and you do hear a lot of negative and you see the pressure to be perfect and it can be a little frightening as you anticipate that or or think about going down that pathway of having kids tell me uh tell us all why is it worth the sacrifice okay well maybe it's not never mind well uh i don't know how to recover from that go ahead please come on you know, when you, you're blessed with children and you see your great-grandchildren and you, you know, you've raised them up in the Lord and you see that they're following the Lord and the grandchildren are following the Lord. I'm praying for a couple of them. Um, but, you know, it, life is good because you can see the, their love for the Lord growing and you're part of that. You are part of that. Amen. 
<laughs> I think I have learned that there's not much better than doing a thousand percent, whatever God has called you to do. And so if God does give you children, then you pour into them and it's worth the sacrifice because you're making disciples. And especially if they choose to follow Jesus and have a, their, a ministry of their own, we might aren't quite there yet, but I pray that they do. And just to know that I had some small part in that it makes the sacrifice worth it. And it also is very revealing of your own sin. I think parenting does that because as I said, it shows me how selfish I am and that helps me hopefully continue to be more like Christ because of the way that I parent or fail in parenting. I would agree with that. It's rewarding to be involved in the process of discipling the next generation. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of that is also, like you said, you you see, you learn so much about yourself. Um, I remember the first time I heard my mother's voice coming out of my mouth and I just cringed and, uh, you know, that was me. But... um, but to be able to be involved in training up children and also, um, you know, that used, to, that used to stress me out. Like, this is such an awesome responsibility. But I think in the way we handle our mistakes um, are, are just beautiful lessons as well. And children can be really forgiving at times uh, in those moments. And so just being a part of something that has eternal value has been worth it. Yes, I'll do more than amen. <laughs> There's great reward in seeing your uh, children serve the Lord, touch others for Jesus, tell the truth, and lead their own children in a, in a way that's honoring to God and one that will reflect his glory and draw others to Christ because of how they serve, how they act, how they love others. Thanks, ladies. Thanks uh, to our panel of experts. Thanks. <laughs> it's always a bit of a danger for me to extrapolate from my own personal experience uh, into lots of other lives, but I think you, you heard this theme from these moms as well. There's often this really uh, overwhelming sense of a need to be perfect in this role. And I want to remind you, moms, that the goal is not perfection. Your responsibility is not perfection. Your responsibility is just faithfulness. Right, just faithfulness. Because we, we, don't, we don't have control of the outcomes. We don't have control of these things. Our children will make dis- decisions and choices day to day as they're young. And then as they leave our homes, they'll make choices. We're not responsible for those outcomes. We're not responsible for perfection, right? And you, I mean, I think this is all exacerbated by what you see in social media, right? Where everybody's putting on their mom highlight reel is up on social media, but not all, but not all the failures or the frustrations. And so we do get into this loop, I think, sometimes as moms and dads uh, where we're comparing and it's, it's discouraging and our responsibility is not perfection. It's just faithfulness. Dads, your responsibility is not perfection. It's just faithfulness. Our responsibility to our friends around us as well. It's not perfection. It's just faithfulness. And so I want to talk to you for just a moment before we close about faithfulness. I want to talk about faithfulness. Um, we... Sorry, I'm working with a new clicker here. Um, we are able to be faithful to others because God's been faithful to us. Now, this is really, a, in a sense, a foundational attribute of God. We come to God, and each time we come, we know that God will be the same. And we don't have to wonder as we're approaching God, 
uh, this day will he be uh, changeable, unpredictable, fickle, angry, um, impatient. No, we know this is who God is. God is long-suffering, patient, kind. He is righteous and just. He is all these things, and he's always all these things, and he's these things in perfection. All right, this is a gift that God gives to us, his faithfulness. So I want to define that term for you just a little bit. Um, in Exodus chapter 17, there's a great illustration. It says this, but Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and her supported his hands on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sunset. That word for steady is actually the Hebrew word for faithful. But it means steady, strong, secure, unmovable, predictable, reliable. Who is God? God is the one who is steady. In fact, uh, 2 Kings chapter 18, this word for faithfulness is actually translated doorpost. The doorposts of the house of the Lord are steady. They are reliable. They are predictable. They're always in the same place. This is something God gives to us. His reliability, his predictability, the fact that he is consistent to always keep his promises. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness. He is loyal, he is faithful to his word. And if he stated something, he will do it. He will bring it to pass. Psalm chapter 36, verse 5. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the skies. There is, in fact, no limit, God, to the breadth of this character quality of your personality. You are always faithful, God. And because God is faithful to us, therefore we can be faithful to others, right? That's a gift that he gives to us. And so it's a character quality that he allows us then to reflect as men and women who are made in the very image of God. Because we're not perfect, right? God is perfect in all of his attributes. He's perfect even in his faithfulness and his justice and his righteousness. But we're not. We're, we're, we're a dim reflection of that. But we do reflect. But sometimes we put this expectation upon ourselves that we have to actually be perfect and we can't. The only reason we're able to give any faithfulness in a sense to anyone else is because God has first given his faithfulness to us. I want to illustrate that for you from the book of Galatians chapter 2. It says this. We know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus. Okay, notice what he says. We're put in right relationship with God, not because we have done good things. Not because we've done more good things than bad things. That is what he's describing in a sense as works of the law. Right? Not just the Mosaic law, but good works that you can come up with. We're not declared to be in right relationship with God. That is justified because of what we can accomplish on our own strength because we're in fact imperfect. Instead, we trust in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. God sent his son to die on the cross to remove the debt of our sins. And the son said, yes. The son said, yes, I will be faithful to what God the Father has called me to do. And because of his faithfulness in dying for our sins, we have the removal of the debt of our sins. We have eternal life. But we also have the Spirit of God in us who transforms us and changes us into people who can be faithful. But you know what? We can't be these people on our own. And so perhaps you walked in here today and, and maybe you came with family members because it's Mother's Day and uh, this is maybe not your normal routine on a, on a Sunday and you're not sure you hear all of this about faithfulness. And you go, oh man, one more thing to do, one more thing to be, one more thing to become. And I look at all of my past failures and I'm gonna walk out of here extremely discouraged. Let me tell you, the burden can be lifted, but only by Jesus. 
And that burden of, of past regret, of guilt and shame, can only be lifted by Jesus. That sense of hope moving forward to be something different can only be lifted by Jesus. Every single person in here has regrets about the past, but Jesus paid for those. And then I promise you, moms have lots of regrets about the past, some of them real, lots of them imagined. All of those are lifted only by Jesus. Jesus gives his perfection to us in place of our imperfection. So the moment that you believe, that debt, that guilt, that shame is lifted. Not because you've done more good than bad. Not because you've worked and strived hard to be perfect, but because you've received a free gift. And so let me encourage you before you think about what it would look like for you to become a more faithful person to someone else, that you first say, thank you, God, that you've been faithful to me. Perfectly faithful in Jesus Christ, right? That's the starting point. Now, having received Jesus and his perfection and his faithfulness, let me give you three ideas of what our faithfulness can accomplish in others. First is this, our faithfulness imprints faithfulness in other lives. Right, people learn through imitation. Right? We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks as we've discussed discipleship. People learn as they see things in us. These concepts about, um, about God. Right? He's, he's invisible. He's three in one. The second member of the Trinity, eternally existent Son of God, came to earth and he took on human flesh so that he could live uh, on this earth perfectly and then die. And he was rose from the dead. But I didn't see any of that happen. And I can't see this unseen God. How, how can I understand him and relate to him? Well, I, I see faithfulness in my friend, Mike Schaub. I see faithfulness in my friend, Jeff Payne. I see their loyalty. And as I see that they're, they're steady, they're consistent, they're reliable, I begin to get this sense of what God is like. Because I'm drawn to that. I, I need that in my life. I want that in my life. And so as we model that for others, it allows an opportunity for faithfulness to be imprinted in their lives. It's particularly true of kids. For sure. There was a study done in 2014 in uh, Christian families. Uh, it was said that 82% of kids whose parents were active in their faith went on to be active in their own faiths. Right? In other words, when the parents uh, didn't, in a sense, religion wasn't just check a box, but it was a vibrant relationship. So in the home, Deuteronomy 6, as they're walking along the way and they're eating meals and they're driving to school and they're playing sports, faith was woven into all of life, right? I don't just, I'm not, it's not just Sunday and, and we're done with our religious duties for the day, but no, faith is all a part of life. 82% of kids went on to have their own vibrant walk with Jesus Christ, right? They learned through it being ex- uh, modeled in their home. Well, we live in a culture in which fewer and fewer and fewer people get that from home. So where do they get it? They get it from friends. They get it from coworkers. They get it from people who coach teams together and go to dance together. And they see it in our relationships and in our character, right? It's a gift we give not just to our kids. We give it to the people around us. We give a model of what it means to be steady and sure and reliable, which we've received as a gift from God. Right? That's first. Second, faithfulness nurtures security. Deuteronomy 32 says this, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. 
Moses says, God is a rock. David picks this theme up. It's one of his primary metaphors in his Psalms, that God is a rock, right? God is this solid foundation. He's immovable. He's secure. I can build my life upon him. Or when I'm attacked by enemies, God is a rock, and I go hide myself in a cleft of a rock or in a cave, and I'm protected. I'm safe. I'm secure. And that's a fundamental human need, to be physically safe, to be emotionally safe, to be relationally safe. And when we are faithful people, we create that sense of safety and security so that our children, or by way of example, the people living around us begin to get this sense of safety. All of their lives may be crazy and chaotic, but they know that when they come to us or they're with us, things are safe. Things are secure. Things are reliable. Things are predictable. That's a gift we get from God. And a gift that we give to others. Third, faithfulness inspires courage. When we're safe and we're secure, then we become courageous. Even when there are areas of our lives that may not be, but we know we have an anchor. We have a safe place. We become courageous people. I'll give you just two illustrations. First is uh, Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks was raised by her mom, Leona Edwards. Her dad left the family, and so Leona raised Rosa, homeschooled her, homeschooled her until she was age 11. Rosa Parks became a courageous woman, right? We could argue that she was one of the women who actually changed in a really significant way the culture of an entire nation because her mom created an environment of security for her, and she took her to church every week, weekly, many times a week, whenever the church was open. She taught her the faithfulness of God, taught her to trust in God. Gave her security at home in an imperfect home environment, but still an environment that was safe and secure and fostered courage. And she helped change a culture. Second illustration, Thomas Edison, greatest uh, inventor in American history. He was actually thrown out of school because his teachers deemed him, uh, quote unquote, mentally incompetent. That's before they knew how to diagnose dyslexia. So his mom took him home and his mom schooled him. And he wrote this later about his mom. He said, my mother was the making of me. She was so sure. She was so true. So sure of me. And I had, and I felt I had something to live for. He said, my mom was the making of me because she believed in me and she inspired courage in me. And what if she had not? We'd all be sitting here in the dark. (laughs) We do that for our kids. I'd argue we can do it for people around us. You can do it for a coworker. Believe in that coworker. Be faithful and reliable in that relationship with that coworker or that friend or that neighbor. Be that person. That, in, that inspires courage. Now, before we close, I do want to say one word uh, about Mother's Day itself uh, doesn't affect all people in exactly the same way. I know for some of you, Mother's Day is a hard day. Um, maybe you have always wished that you could be a mom and that hasn't, that hasn't worked well for you. I, I just want to tell you that Tristan and I understand at least a little bit of that. We had four years of, of infertility where we were waiting and waiting and longing and crying and God said no. And I remember one time my wife asked me, so well, why is this so hard? And I said, because 48 times God has said no. Right, four years. And we had our son and then we had three miscarriages after that. And uh, then we were able to uh, have our daughter. And, um, you know, we, when I say we understand, we know, and yes, we've had been able to have kids 
subsequently. But I, I know that process, and I know that that's really painful. Some of you want to have kids, and you haven't been able to have kids. Or some of you have had kids, and then you've lost kids. Or your kids have walked away from Jesus. Or maybe on Mother's Day, you think about your mom that you lost. Or maybe you had a mom who wasn't all that you wanted your mom to be. And so Mother's Day doesn't have all of the same warm, fuzzy, wonderful emotions that were portrayed in the video. And I want to acknowledge that. I, don't want, to, I want to skip over that. And really, the, you know, when we were in the middle of, of really struggling and that pain with infertility, uh, there were moments that, man, it was just overwhelming. And we didn't want to come to church on Mother's Day. Um, I remember one particular uh, year we, we were really hoping, thinking, okay, this, this month. And the same day that we were anticipating that we'd find out my wife was pregnant, found out she wasn't pregnant, but one of her best friends called and said she was pregnant. And we had to, to really learn, in a sense, to be courageous in those moments and rejoice with those who rejoice. And our friend had to learn to weep with those who weep. And, you know, she did. She called, shared her joy, and then cried with us. And so, you know, you may have some painful memories. You come in here on Mother's Day. I want to just say, way to go. You came. That's courage. And that's what the body of Christ needs to see. Right? We, need to, we need to learn from one another. We need to learn to rejoice with those who rejoice and, and weep with those who weep. That's a courageous thing. And I can't say anything that removes those, those feelings of pain. God allows those hardships in our lives. But then as we respond in courage to those hardships in our lives, then others around us are inspired to trust Jesus, even when things are really difficult. So let me give us a couple of uh, specific applications. The first is this. Um, It's Mother's Day, and it's a wonderful thing. It's hard for some of us, but let's uh, not forget to to celebrate. So I see that uh, some of you brought your kids in this morning, so I'm going to give an application first to your kids. Kids, your job is to celebrate your mom. And, um, yeah, I see a couple moms going, hey, listen, listen, okay. (laughs) Celebrate your mom. Um, it's not just right second Sunday of May each year, once a year, thou shalt celebrate mom. But I really want to kind of encourage you to move beyond that. And I know you won't remember this for 365 days. So let's say seven days. So for seven days, we're going to celebrate mom. And this is how I want you to celebrate mom. I want you to say thanks for something every day for the next seven days to mom. And you know, you don't have to get too creative. These things should just kind of pop into your mind, right? Mom, thank you for making sure I have clean clothes. Thank you, mom, that there's food in the refrigerator. Thank you, mom, for driving me to soccer or to dance or to all of my activities. Thank you, mom. Just say thank you, right? You'll be amazed. Some moms like notes. Write a note. Put it on her pillow at night. Just stun her. Absolutely stun her that uh, unsolicited from her, but advice from Pastor Brian, you said thanks. I'm amazed what it does for my wife when the kids spontaneously just say, thank you, mom. Even for something that you kids might consider little, just say thanks, acknowledge. Husbands, celebrate your wives. Celebrate your wives, particularly in front of your kids, if you can. You know, have a little Proverbs 31 moment where you're just extolling her virtues and your kids are going, ah, whatever, right? And, you know, extol her virtues and hug her and kiss her in front of your children and show your children how much you value her. Show your wife how much you value her. And again, this is not a, an annual exhortation, but a pattern that we can begin this week. And husbands, we, man, we're the ones who need to breathe that life 
into our wives. Moms, celebrate each other. Celebrate the things that you are wrestling with. The other moms are wrestling with exactly the same things. Okay? So, celebrate one another. Comparison is the thief of joy. And we live in a culture that just loves to compare. So instead, celebrate. Celebrate even those little victories like Catherine talked about. You know, I just, I got a, I got a shower and I got out of the house. Well, let's, hey, moms, celebrate one another. Praise one another. Um, just, just even for the, the littlest of things. Particularly the moms around you who maybe have, it, have it even a little bit more challenging than you have it. Maybe they're single moms. Um, earlier in first service, we had Erin uh, Burke. here. She had three years of single mom when her husband passed away. And there are other moms whose husbands have left. Well, encourage those moms. Support those moms. Come alongside of them. Serve them. Right? Celebrate and be faithful. Remember, what's our goal? Our goal is not perfection. Our goal is faithfulness. And our goal isn't even to be perfectly faithful, but just to take steps in faithfulness. We have these stewardships of relationships all around us. And as we said last week, maybe it's faithful to pursue that spiritual conversation. Or maybe it's faithful to encourage your spouse. Or faithful to encourage your mom. Faithful to encourage your friends around you. Let's just be faithful because God's been faithful to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the faithfulness you've shown to us in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that Jesus was faithful to the role that you gave him. And as a result, we don't carry the burden and debt of sin. We have freedom and hope and confidence and we have strength through the power of the Spirit. And I pray, Father, that as we experience your faithfulness, it would be a gift that we long to give to others. Father, we thank you. We praise you. I pray that we would walk out of here different people in the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.